Welcome back to the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast. Today we have Master Henzo Gracie on the show, an absolute legend in BJJ and MMA, uh, a guy that I've looked up to, been inspired from, uh, and been a fan of my entire career since high school, uh, watching him fight in, in Japan and Brazil and, and basically all over the world. And, uh, you know, he's one of the most positive people in the sport, and we've crossed paths so many times, but we've never sat down and had a long, extensive conversation, and I'm very much looking forward to this, and I think it's going to come out really good. So let's get started. All right, Master Enzo Gracie, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here with you, my brother. It's great to see you, man. It's an honor to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you. We've passed each other uh, for short periods of time here and there, from here to Abu Dhabi to all over the world, but we've never had a, a good conversation, and, and I've never got to really kind of talk to you about how much of an inspiration you were to me in my career so this is going to be really cool oh, thank you brother boy it's true we were always running and you're always busy too doing great fights man i always watch <laughs> i'm a big fan i always watch your fights and root for you every time you know? thank you so much it's and good that, to be here with you my brother that means a lot to hear you say that because like i was coming up through high school and and back in 97 i was like a junior and 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 i was watching your fights and I remember the internet was so, it was so old back then that there was like these websites, these old fashioned websites, and they would have like these dealers that had like all the, the, the MMA fights on VHS tape. And you could like trade, <laughs> trade tapes with them from like fights, or you could like buy the yeah. tapes from them. And I'd get these VHS yeah. tapes in and I'd get like, like choke and graces in action and, yeah. and all My these old wife, tapes. I have, I have a storage here in the house. The, the storage is like a thousand square feet, 1500 square feet in storage. Uh -huh. And I have boxes of those tapes. <laughs> yeah, I've had know? all of them. And my wife wants to throw them out and I don't let her. Yeah, that's I so say, crazy. I said, you leave before those tapes. <laughs> yeah, it was so crazy. It's yeah, awesome, it's man, <laughs> watching those. And, and it's like you were such an inspiration because you came from the Gracie family, but you, to me, you had that extra... I mean, I was watching Hickson. Hickson was a big inspiration for me as well in the Valley Tudos. I think it was like 97-ish or something like that. Um, but you had that that fire. Like, you, you had a real fire when you fought. And, and so coming from the Gracie family, but being less like the Gracies, I guess. You, you, you had the BJJ, but yeah. you were that firefighter that was just so hungry and that aggressive attitude. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be aggressive and go out there and be the same as you, you know? Yeah, a lot of people tell me that. A lot of people tell me that. I was I was... I was taught by Hollis. Hollis was very open-minded. He trained boxing, judo, wrestling, everything. We always saw my whole life after I trained with the gi, I finished my training, I would look for someone to go roll with no gi. And every time I could, I would go, I would go learn Muay Thai, I would go learn boxing. I always liked it a lot. And I thought that uh, for a fighter to be good, he needs to be complete, you know? Absolutely. And you were. And it was incredible. I remember you had a fight that was like uh like Pentagon combat or something in long time ago. And there was like a riot and it was like the they holy, broke the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. It was the Holy grill. tape it was the hardest one to find. Cause everybody was talking about it, but like nobody had the tape. And so we were all trying to get that tape to watch that fight. And it was something to do with like, I guess your family versus another family or, or team or something. And, and y'all. Yes. It was, was us against the, the Luta Livre guy. They yes. were our biggest opponent back in Brazil. And uh, it was interesting because they invade uh, the event and they had 200 people around the ring. Oh, wow. You know? I remember. They completely invaded. So the, the promoter said to me, look, you don't need to go into fight. You know, it's the situation. is We cannot kick them out. They have more people than the, the security that we have. They had like maybe 
20 or 30 security, and they couldn't remove the guy. They were like over 200. So the whole time that I was fighting, I said, no way, man, lock that cage. I know that the fight will solve inside there. So I, as I'm fighting, every time I put my back on the, on the, on the fence, they would kick me, you know, my, my hand or my, <laughs> my so back, crazy. my head. And I remember, I see this guy, the guy keeps falling me wherever I was in the ring and kicking me. So I look at him and I say, my man, you hit, you hit, you hit, uh, you hit uh, softer than my mom used to hit me. I say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? So at one moment, he puts his head above the cage to curse me and I clock him right on the nose. <laughs> I hit him and then my brother got him outside. Yeah. And then it was a huge riot. It was like 400 people fighting at the same time, you know, and they broke the whole arena. It was, was, was an amazing experience, you know? I cherish those memories a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was the old, that was old school. And then, like coming up in America, like you know, I would see these tapes and and see these fights, and I didn't realize how sparsely they were. Like it wasn't a big deal in Brazil. Like 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 when I was coming up and saw you guys fighting in Brazil and, and watching all these fights, I assumed fighting was huge in Brazil, like it is kind of in America now, kind of thing. And yes, until I no, went there, until no. I went there for the first time and actually trained there, I was, it, it's almost like Brazil looked down upon fighters, kind of like they did with us yes. here. Yes. And I was so yes. surprised. I'm like, I thought I was going to the heart of fighting because all I saw was Gracie's yeah. and, and, and Gracie's in action yeah. and all this stuff. But it was like, it was the opposite. And I couldn't even believe that. So how has that changed, you know, considering it's yeah, changed it's, in America and everywhere else? Now it's a big difference. Now it's for sure the second national sport. They talk about fighting everywhere. They idolize the fighters. And it's a funny thing. It's like you need to shine outside to bring the to bring the value to your own country, you know. Because right. back then, the, the 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 same way that the newspapers today go against Trump and go against Bolsonaro, my president in Brazil, they used to go against fighting. You know, they right. promote soccer a lot. My father was president of the Maracanã Stadium, and I never watch a game. I would go there to see my father and then leave <laughs> when the game began. You know, <laughs> I never liked it because I thought it 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 it, uh, it put a shadow over everybody else, all the other sports that deserve recognition. Right. And the press, they they were making money out of this, and they completely refused to give to promote other sports. So fighting was that. But the moment that I moved to America was 1996, and that's when the fighting began to get in popular and taking strength and start shining in the United States, in the Emirates, in Japan, and then everything began, you know? And now in Brazil, they, they I was just invited, I was just there recently, I think uh, 10 days ago with my president, my Brazilian president, and we are setting up, they're going to start teaching uh, jiu-jitsu in schools in Brasilia. Oh, they're going to wow. begin from Brasilia, and then they will spread all over the country. That's the goal now. So, so it's, it's beautiful. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu is going to be actually available in schools, like wrestling is yes. in America. Like a regular, like a regular, a part of the curriculum, you know, wow. this already happens in the Emirates, in Abu Dhabi, it already happens in the whole country. Right now, this year, if it wasn't the pandemic, uh, they, they, they passed a law that was mandatory on, from kindergarten to college and the military and the police. You wouldn't be able to go up in rank if you didn't have a belt in jiu-jitsu. That's yeah. how they were making, you know, so everybody will have to train. The, right now, they have 125,000 people training jiu-jitsu in the Emirates, and they are, they were going up to 250 after this law went through, you know? So it's really growing everywhere. They, they had jiu-jitsu for the first time on the Asian Games, uh, I think was the same day was the same day that I fought in, uh, in Manila, they were having the games in, uh, in Asia. What do you, let me ask you a question, because you just mentioned the cops. 
I am a big supporter of all first responders. I think they're heroes. And, and I think people turning against them right now, defunding them, I don't agree with. Um, but I do think that the tr uh, there's some bad seeds, there's some bad people, obviously, in every uh, area of the world. Um, and also, I, I firmly believe that they're not trained enough. What is your take on that? Because when you watch the... The, the, the latest one with Jacob or whatever, and, and he could have easily tackled the guy or, I mean, he was holding a shirt and then he followed yeah. him all the way around and then shot him seven or tried to shoot him seven times. He shot him four times. Yeah. That could have been easily resolved if that guy had the proper training. What is your take on that? I, I, I'm with you 100%. You know, I believe those, the police officers are my heroes. You know, I admire them a lot. And I'm always on their side. I, I, the other day, actually, I saw a situation near my house here they, the guy was pulling over and, and it was more than one guy. It was like three guys that he was having to, to handcuff. I pulled over my car right away and I stepped out and I was waiting. You mm -hmm. know, if he needed help, I was jumping right in. You know, thank God everything went quietly. But when you look situation like that, for sure, if you realize why people make fun, oh, the cops, how they eat is donuts. Have you seen that? They say that. Why? They, they, they don't make, they are not paid enough. Like, they, they shouldn't defund the police. They should have raised their salary. You know, the other day I was looking here uh, where my city taxes are going for, and 93% of what I pay yearly from my house goes to the school. So with the rest of the seven, they have to take care of the fire department, the city, the, the, the officials, and then the police. So it's too little. You know, they have to live in a tight uh, budget. You know, and sometimes they cannot do the right diet and they cannot train proper. Yeah. That's why you see so many police officers, you know, overweight and with problems like that. And without the confidence of managing of managing uh, situations like this one that they end up in a shootout, you know. And uh, I believe if they they add I'm right now working with the captain, uh, Brian McPherson. Brian McPherson is one of my black belts and he used to have uh one guy in the UFC, we used to have one one of his students for the UFC and everything. And uh, we've been working in developing a program. We're going to begin teaching. A, he's, he's a captain. He used to be a captain of New Jersey Troopers. Now he's a captain at the New York Port Authority. Okay. So our goal is to begin a program with them and then, you know, uh, spread all over the United States for all the police officers, you know. That's our goal. But if for sure, if they learn how to handle these situations, accidents like that won't happen. I mean, I feel this way, and I and I know you feel this way. There, there needs to be at least a combatives, uh, BJ. I would say BJJ, but combatives or some type of program for an extended period of time for these police officers. I heard that some of their training is six weeks, and you and I were getting, you know, we were going through twelve week fight sure. camps for one fight, and these guys are going through six so weeks of training fight, yeah. to be cops. Yeah. And other people that don't know about uh, fighting as much as we do or agreeing that they need more training. What do you think is the problem? Why don't you think anybody at, at the higher level is listening to that? And putting putting an emphasis on getting these police officers trained in a higher degree. People on that higher level, they you see America is a very safe place. Now it's been a little different. Like New York is a completely different city. Right. The other day uh, I was driving to pick up a friend of mine right on 47th Street. I, he was waiting for me on the Diamond District. So as I'm driving, I see this young lady which with a very short, very small shorts holding three bags and she was drunk. So she was wobbling the street. Normally in New York, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't wouldn't bother me at all that situation for her. But for some reason, when I saw the streets, I pulled over immediately. I locked my car, but I left my car running, and I went to get a cab for her. I went to her and I said, "Excuse 
to me, honey, you know well to, to, to walk in the streets around at this time. I'm going to get the cab for you now. I'm going to take care of everything, and he's going to drop you home. Mm. He's going to take you home. She, oh, she, she tried to get her phone. She almost fell. I said, sit here. Let me get a cab. It took me 10 minutes to get a cab. There was no cabs in, in the city, no police cars at all passed by, which was impossible in New York, right. you know, on the beginning of this year. So I finally got a cab. I put her in the cab. I gave the guy charged me a hundred dollars to take her to Long Island. I gave him a hundred twenty, and I said, "Look, knock at the door, put her inside her house." I took a picture of your license plate, and I took a picture of you. I'm calling her tomorrow to make sure that she's fine, that everything is good. So they left. I jumped in this time that I was there getting a cab for her. Three times people came and checked my door, tried to open my door, wow. the door of my car Jeez. that was parked across the street. Three times, and this never happened before. Yeah. And I would scream at them. They go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, they walk away. Yeah. So they thought that someone forgot the key inside. They want to get the car and leave. So I jump in the car. I go pick it up my friend. And when I got him, I said, man, what is this about? It's the first time that I feel uncomfortable. I'm walking here, and I thought this woman was in danger. I could see it. Yeah. And then he goes, Hanzo, the mayor just emptied the prison and filled oh, it up right. two hotels. Yeah. Claiming the COVID danger. He filled up two hotels of people from the prison. When I told this to my wife, and he goes to me, I'm not even walking around the street with a watch on it. I don't put a watch in my wrist. I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to get robbed here. So as I told my wife this, in five minutes, she sends me a, a, a newspaper page mm -hmm. explaining who was, a, who was on those hotels. Who are the people that are on those hotels? It wasn't a regular drug dealer or someone who stole something that ended up in prison. It was only sexual offenders. That's crazy. So he filled it up. Yeah, they called it the D2, I think, which is the most aggressive sexual offender. Yeah. You know? So they filled it up two hotels on 47th Street between 5 and 6, which is called the Diamond District. With rapists. That's crazy. You know, with serious sex offenders. That's what they're doing on purpose. For sure. It's like you walk you walk the streets to of New York, them. you have homeless people everywhere. You know how many people ask you for a for a dollar or for, for money to eat or none. For sure they're getting paid. They're getting paid to be there. You know, that's what they are doing. They're trying to destroy and take Trump down and you know, and unfortunately they attack the police. They they attack the police and they they talking about the funding, putting the police down. The police is intimidated because they can't do nothing. Yeah. The other day I was walking the street. There was a two, poli two, two police officers. One was a female. And this guy was going off, cursing at them, telling a bunch of things. As I'm coming by, I go, let's show some respect. And then they, they look at me like a little uncomfortable. And I go, officers, if you want to leave, this is my street. I will fix this dude. I'll make sure that he won't give you no problems anymore. You guys can go. I'll take care of the problem. And then the guy not even want to look at me, you know. Yeah. And the officers were like, oh. I said, just show respect because this is where I live. This is my right next to my academy. Yeah. So the two more officers were coming. They look and go, e it's Hazel. I yeah. say, how are you doing, guys? <laughs> you know, but that's what they are yeah. doing now. They're intimidated. They cannot even do what they do. They cannot even arrest people now. And you walking in New York is a mess. It's people offering you drugs on every corner. You know, yeah. when did I expect to, to, to see that in the United States? You know, it's ridiculous. This pandemic is such an absolute disaster. And I have a feeling that once this election is over, it's miraculously going to start disappearing. 
Like, I, I think there's such a huge agenda attached to this thing. It's unbelievable that everybody's moving off. Like, uh, you have to understand New York is 70% rental property. Yeah. You know, it's right. everybody's out. Right here next to my house in Jersey, there was one, there's a, a river, Nave Sink River. What beautiful house. They had, they had 21 houses for sale. In one week, they sold it all. Wow. In one week. This is how people from New York coming over, moving over here. You know, it's unbelievable what they were able to do with the city. Yeah. How is it affecting your gyms? I mean, I know you have some successful gyms. You got what? You got two or, or three or four right now. Yeah, I was lucky. We're still closed. I believe we're going to be the first one to open mm -hmm. because uh, uh, we have a license from the state. Right. The state issue is a license. We are the only three gyms that have actually a license in New York because the mayor is not allowing nobody to open nothing. You know, wow, it's crazy. He's really struggling to sink until the election. At least they're going to try to hold this up. You know, so it's insane. And thank God that my gyms were so successful that I, I I can stay closed until next year. There'll be no problem for me. You know, but I feel sorry for the smaller gyms, for the yeah. for the people around me who who are having to to return the locations. They they can't pay for the rent. They can't fulfill their what they have to do without getting students. You know, it's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, I'm in Thailand, and and I had a huge uh, optimistic business goal to build one of the biggest gyms in the world. <laughs> and I come over here, and everything's going great until they shut it down. And then it's like now the stress kicks in when you build a gym this size, you know, and it's a destination gym. Uh, Thailand literally shut the island down. Like, how could you ever expect a worst case scenario that they're going to shut the island and close the airports and allow none of your guests? Because all my guests are international. They're people that fly to, into Thailand. And then they can't even fly in. So, like, my, my gym's open now. Thank God. At least we're open and we're, we're able to, to do stuff. And my, my employees are able to work and get paid. But uh, it's all people that are stuck here in Thailand. So, it's, like, not that many people. And so, we're just waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting until they open. And we have no idea when that's going to be. So, I'm just holding that weight and just hoping, you know, the sooner the better. The, the less we lose and, and the, the faster we'll get back to, you know, getting back to normal again. Because things were going so good up until this thing happened. Insane, insane, this whole situation. Luckily, a lot of my students kept paying the academy. They refused to freeze or to cancel, you know, the membership, even though it was open for them to do it. And uh, they say, no, yes, we got to help you now, you know, until we open. So right now I have over 300 students paying the academy. Yeah. So that allowed me to pay all my employees. Everybody got their money. Everybody, all the rents are paid. Everything's paid, you know. Good, yeah. I didn't need to get a loan from the government. So everything was Unbelievable. Thanks to the great students that I have, too, at the same time, you know? And yeah. thanks to the funding that I had saved all this year that yeah. I've been working. You're a good you business know? guy, and I, I want to talk to you about that later on, but um, you've done so well for yourself after fighting, and, and I admire that a lot because you've made such a successful business with fighting or with uh, post-fighting, and, and I think that's a big issue now with fighters is they make all this money, and, and, and some of us didn't make – you know, back in the old days, near as much as these guys that are making all this huge amounts of money now, but it goes fast. It doesn't really matter how much you make. They, you can spend it fast. And, and if they don't start yeah, people, investing uh, it. People, people don't realize. Like Anderson Silva was broke. Imagine this. A guy yeah. who made a, he made a fortune. Yeah. He was broke. What people don't realize, you have to have an income that will cover uh, all your expenses, your living, you know. And uh, what what is a rich man? Is a man who can make more money than his wife can spend. This is a secret truth. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a rich man. <laughs> so you have to have a business who generate, and then everything else is extra. 
You know, that's why so many, so many lottery winners end up broke. Broke a lot of you them. You know, yeah. they don't realize that a lot of the ninety-eight percent, a lot of the people from the NFL end up broke. You know, completely broke at the end of their careers. You know, it's insane because you don't realize you create, you buy a house for your family, you buy a house for yourself, you give cars to them. Next thing you see, you have the expenses, you have the taxes, you have everything that you didn't have it. If you don't have that income, and if you realize that their careers last five, six years. You know, in the end of that, they, they have a huge uh, uh, amount of uh, payments to do and they don't have the money coming in anymore. It's very common. And if you look like in our sports, people are very selfish yeah. when they come to that sport. They train just for themselves. They worry about just themselves and they don't realize. And that was the difference. Uh, when, when you talk about me being successful, I always, my first thing always was the people that I taught jiu-jitsu, the people that I trained the people that I, 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 I took under my umbrella to train them to become fighters, like many cousins, many members of my family. And that made my schools grow in such a, a way. I had 1,500 students right. you know, in one of them. I opened another one up on West Side. In 10 months, we had 500 students. This is unheard of yeah. in 10 months. you know. So the Brooklyn School were doing 450 students too, so we were doing really good. We're talking yeah. about... Oh, over over 2,500 students in a, in a, in a five-mile radio, you know, of students. It's crazy. You know, so it's, yeah, so it was insane. So the reality, I, I, I was always a good businessman on the sense of running things. I, I had a bar when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I made that bar get to a point of selling 27 kegs of beer at night, you know. Today, the whole street, I was there recently, the whole street is bar now because of my bar. Yeah, and I, I, I went there and I asked if there was someone there that could sell 27 kegs of beer a night. Today, they say impossible. Yeah. There was only Pavel, <laughs> nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was only my bar. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about you revenue know? streams. I mean, like, because these big, these big uh, chunks of cash, you know, you taxes, obviously, then management, then gym fees, then, then the money goes fast. And, and the more money that you make at one time, the more you spend or you, the more richer you feel. And then that money doesn't last. And then if you don't have those revenue streams set up, and, and, and I think a big problem is guys that get a, a big chunk of money, if they, they see an opportunity to get a revenue stream of, say, $2,000 a month or $3,000 a month, they think that's not a lot of money. But they don't understand if they can get that revenue stream from now until forever through a business, through a smart business, that's a lot of yes. money. That's a lot of money. It's a yes. lot of security. And then you yeah. get another one and another one and another one. And that's the way I kind of think. Whereas I think a lot of people, they just, they just love having this cash because of TV and Instagram and everything else. Now you, you want to have these big chunks of money and, and, and then you throw it at crazy stuff and then you run out in, in a few years. And like you said, people go broke that had a lot of money. Happens all the time. Yes. It's very common. It's very, very common. I've seen too many times, you know, something do well, they do well for a time. And in our business, it's very common. You see, the next thing you see, you see the guy working at Home Depot, you know, to be able to survive. You know, a guy that was making very good money, like a a lot of Brazilian fighters, like like Anderson Silva, was making a kill. Thank God for his last fight that he could make some money. And he's fighting again, Now he's in America. The whole time he avoided, you know was a guy flying private jets. Like, why you need that? You know? Why yeah. you need that? You're talking about $180,000 a flight from LA to, to Brazil. So <laughs> much. So you say, That's so much. You know? What do you think about these fights yeah. going on now? What do you think about Dana putting on these fights and, 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 and these other shows following uh, with no crowds and, and keeping the sport alive and, and keeping these fighters fighting? Like, I, What do you think about that? 
Uh, I think it is the only option now, you know, there's no, they have, they, they cannot, like, and they were doing in Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. and uh, Abu Dhabi was allowed them to do that the same as they allowed Khabib's fight. Yeah. You know, UFC, any, like any other sports that depends on the crowd, depends on the, on the people watching to make money. It's, it's struggling now. Every sport, NBA is struggling, you know, NFL, is struggling. everybody, it's, it's insane. And UFC is not, couldn't be different, you know. So it's it's going through a hard time right now, and that's why they're doing those fights. It doesn't look the same when we watch it, you know. It's, you yeah. don't feel the same emotion. It's funny. It's a very funny thing. But it reminds me of the time that we used to fight at closed doors in academies yeah. <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> that's what <laughs> it looked right. like. And, and, and it gives the, the fans a taste of what it's like kind of for us to be in the fight because when you're in the fight, that's kind of what you hear. You know, you hear the punches land. You hear the, the grunts. You hear the 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 sounds that are you know all those all those sounds that the fans are being able to hear now that's what we hear when we're in there whereas usually all you hear as a fan is just all the you know the fans the screaming and stuff and it's a a show it's entertainment now it's a little more real gritty it it looks like the fights in japan in pride in japan the crowd will be completely silent you could hear someone sneezing on the crowd, you know, like if that happened you could hear everything your cornerman told you and only when you did something they would clap without getting up, without <laughs> screaming, you know? So it's, it, it reminds me of Japan, you know? Do you do you have any fighters coming up with any fights from your uh, from your gyms? I have uh, my nephews and my brother, the, the, my younger brother. My younger brother is 29 years old, 28, 29 years old, and he's fighting Bellator. They have a fight now on the 12th, and I'll be there with him. With a Na- a Naaman is fighting um, Fitch. Oh, that's right, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and my brother is fighting a guy that he was supposed to fight when they canceled the event in the Mohegan Sun. So it's it's going to be on the 12th this month, and I'll be there with them. And they're just training you know? normal as much as they can, just probably with less people, I guess, probably, right? A little bit more Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I make it in a way that only the professional guys are training right, right now. Just a you little know? bit. And it's a funny situation. There was a bunch of guys who got the COVID, and they were they, they had yeah. like the symptoms of a flu for four days, and they were healing. They yep. healed it. And if, they were training again. And many don't have symptoms at yeah. all. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a crazy disease. You don't know what's going on. I don't know if they should have have that many close everything and hurt everybody in such a way because of a, a regular flu. That's what it looks like, you know? Yeah. Would you rather have the vaccine or the COVID? COVID. Me I would too. rather have the COVID. Yeah, I would, yeah, I'm never taking that vaccine, yeah, man. And, I'll take and, my chances. And they just, found out, they just found out that you can get it again. So oh, how yeah. can you take a vaccine of something that you can you, you can get it twice? You know, oh, so it's wow. you know, yeah. Like I spoke to Sheikh Tahnun the other day. They are they are developing the vaccine there for the Chinese, and they are testing on the soldiers. And they and he told me that they, they are very near of getting the vaccine ready for it. You know, and he offered me to take to be one of the first ones to take with him. Yeah. You know, I said, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. way, dude. I would rather have the COVID yeah. and let my body fight this, you know? We've seen so many fighters pop for it, and I've yet to see one fighter fighting for his life in the hospital. You, know, it's, it's, you hear of someone popping and not being able to go to an event, and then they're going to the next one. Or they're, yeah. I, I actually know of some that never said anything that actually had COVID during their fight camps and failed the test and then fought through it and then ended up making their fights because they tested negative before the fight. And they never stopped yeah. training, and they just went right through it. So it's like, it's crazy it's how that insane. works. It's, it's insane. It's insane. And I, I was I the head of the COVID department 
on, on, on the biggest hospital in Queens was one of my students. Yeah. And one day, like a, this was three months and a half ago, he comes to me and say, we're closing. That's exactly when that boat left New York. The boat with the, the, they made the, the hospital, campaign hostel in there. Right, there right, was right. like a, a thousand beds. And they, they, they attend 170 people. None of them related to COVID for yeah. you to have an idea. And so they left. And at the same week, they closed this department of COVID. And like I said, I said, why are you closing? He goes, we don't have nobody sick. Nobody's coming in, you know. But like in Brazil, they claim that a lot of people are dying. So I go down there. I was down there t- 10 days ago. And I asked the president, I say, why are they claiming that so many people are dying in Brazil? He goes, Hanzo, this is a it's, a, it's a country of poor people. There's a lot of poor people. When they go to the hospital, the guy gets shot by a bullet and died. And the doctors would say to, the, to them, look, if you say he had COVID, the funeral, no expenses, everything's paid by the government. Yeah. And the hospital makes extra money. So they go and say the guy died of COVID. Yeah. So, like recent, now they went to a study. They found out only six percent actually of all the people that they claim he died had COVID. That's and that's six percent of yeah. the deaths. Not even six percent of the total yes. COVID people. So that's even no. less. It's like less than yes. a percent or something. It's crazy, and, and they're calling it a it's pandemic. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like you can almost ridiculous. die of anything more than COVID. It seems like, like yeah, literally, definitely, yeah, definitely. You know, and because they have this advantage, they had everything paid: the funeral, the transportation, everything, the bills. And here in America, they, you're not even you don't you don't have a copay. So if you if you have insurance, you go in with COVID when you finish. And I learned that from a Brazilian friend of mine who got COVID, went to the hospital. In the end, there was no copay because with COVID, everything was taken care of. Yeah. So that happens here too, you know, in one way or another, they are doing the same. Yeah, it's un- it's unbelievable. Considering how you came up old school and and you were a trailblazer for the the sport and BJJ, but then obviously in MMA as well. Um, how crazy is it how big the sport's gotten and, and how big these fights are? And now you have your family fighting in these events. And, and how different is it now for you getting them prepared and them showing up compared to the old days when, like, like I mean, it, it's, it's night and day. But but what is it like for you, like your perspective on, on how, how big it's gotten? It's amazing, man. You know, and I to be honest, I love so much our sport that I thought it took too long. Yeah. It should have been there before, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it's, it's the most appealing sport. When you watch, uh, when you w- go watch hockey, you want to see the fight. Yeah. When you go watch, <laughs> That's true. when you go watch NASCAR race, you want to see the crash. We, you know, we want to yeah. see those cars crashing. When you go watch uh, American football, you want to see the guy get hit and flying all over the place. Yeah. The reality, this is what pleases us and entertain us. And our sport, you're gonna see that for sure, 100. Yeah. percent The only way you could compare, let's say, swimming with uh, with fighting would be if the moment that Phelps jumped in the water, they let go an alligator after him. <laughs> so he had to, to out, out more views. the alligator and get out of the pool. Yeah, it would be the only way to do it. So our sports is the most entertaining thing ever, and you can never predict. Like, uh, there's events that I sat down from 10 fights, and I know all the fighters, and I knew them all, and I knew their style, how they fought, and I picked eight wrong, eight wrong decisions in the end. You know, So it's that shows how unpredictable this sport is and every time it's a surprise box there's nothing more entertaining than fighting yeah it's crazy i think dana said it best one time he's like it is amazing what you said about how it it took so long for it to become so big because it is such a simple sport to get like dana said it best i think because he's like you can you can have 
the the UFC or, or Bellator or any of these fights playing in any country and you don't have to know the language you don't have to know you know what the commentary is you can just watch and know what's going on you can have a good idea unless it's close who's winning yes. and and what's going yeah. on so it's like it's such a simple thing to grasp and it's in our yes. DNA it is amazing it took so long for it to to, to get yeah. so big yeah once that door locks once that gate locks or once the the bell rings you can't hide who you are. Inside there, and everybody who's watching, doesn't matter the language, doesn't matter the citizenship, doesn't matter the color of his skin, his religion, he will understand that one man is afraid of the other, that one man is losing to the other. You know, you can't hide in there. That's the, the, the I, I, I really believe that's the sport of truth, you know? Yeah. And it's exactly that. It doesn't matter. I, I watch fights in, in Russia. I watch fights in, in Abu Dhabi. I watch fights... In Japan, every, in Manila, everywhere I went, it was the same. You know, mm. I felt like I was at home. That's the thing, you know. What's your? Let me ask you. What's your most memorable? Uh, I guess best best win and most memorable win or performance in BJJ and in MMA. What what, what are the two? The two wins that stand out the most in your entire career. I know you had a long one, so it might be a tough question. Yeah, I believe I believe will be the next one. That I, that, that that moment that I didn't leave yet. The yeah. moment that I still don't have. And I'm fighting again. I'm fighting until the end of this year. Really? You know, I actually I just yeah I just went to Brazil to have a match in the academy with Walid Ismail, and he chickened out. He didn't show up. We had what? set up to fight in the academy. Yeah, and whoever wins will have the rights of the, the footage. And he disappeared. He didn't show up. You Wait, know? you went you went to Brazil to fight Walid Ishmael. Yeah, I was you, last week, ten days ago. And then yeah. you and you and the, and the winner was going to have the rights to be able to to have bragging rights of the footage and put it online. Yes. And, and he didn't show yes. up. He didn't show up. He wow. chickened out. You're such a fighter, you know, can man. Can you believe? Yeah. <laughs> You're such a fighter. <laughs> he was challenging me. He was talking a lot on the internet to say, and then he said, "On the eighth, I will fight you." I said, "Okay, I'm coming. I'm coming over." And I had a problem here because a tree fell in my house and took the, the power down on the, on, the, on the light poles I had in front of my house. So I couldn't leave on the 5th. I was supposed to fight him on the 8th this month. Yeah. So I couldn't, leave on the, I couldn't leave on the 5th. I had to wait until I set up everything for my family. I put, uh, I put generators here so they would have the refrigerators would be working, some lights in the house. So after I did that, I flew. I was supposed to get there on the 7th. And then there was a kid who, who ingested drugs to fly to Brazil. And after three hours in the flight, they had to return and took the kid out, you know, so he could puke the drugs that he, that he had in his stomach and all that mess. We had to stay in Houston one more night. So I arrived there on the 8th at 1.15 at the airport. I jumped, My flight was supposed to be at 3.30. I jumped in a cab, went to my mom's home, took a shower, run for 20 minutes, and did some shadow box, went straight there to fight him, and he didn't show up. So you actually you know, made it I on time. <laughs> you actually made it, and he yeah. wasn't there still. I made it 3.15, I was there. 3.15, I was there. <laughs> you know? How did you tell? I was 15 minutes earlier. Did anybody know about this? How do I not know about this? Did, did, was, was this? Oh, it was mostly in Brazil. They were talking a lot in Portuguese. It was everywhere, <laughs> you know? Then a wife came to ask, what's going on between you and Walid? <laughs> Oh, I wow. say, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Can I ask know? you what the rules and were? He, it would be the old style. They're not old, old style. You know, yeah, like they used to do. <laughs> wow. You know, like you did a whole life and he didn't show up. I couldn't believe, you know. So this is like I told you, is the memory that I, he didn't give me that I would be angry at him forever because of that. You know, he promised that he'll be there. They will fight. He was in shape. 
You know, he was calling me chubby, and I was oh, posting God. on the internet pictures of me, old pictures that I was overweight, you know, on purpose. Yeah. And then I was in the best shape of my life now. I couldn't feel better. I was beating all the kids that I was rolling with and I was training with. And I was looking to put my hands on him. But it didn't happen. But for sure, I'll be fighting until the end of the year, at least once or twice. Since I'm in shape already, I'm going to I'm gonna keep training and, and I'm going to go have fun. I'm 53 now. My last fight was when I was 51 in Manila against uh, Yuki Kondo. Yep, and won. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, it was, a, it was an unbelievable experience, yeah. you know. So I'm the Gracie who most fought. I'm the Gracie who fought the oldest. So well, you can't beat that. <laughs> I have to set standards for the new generation so they can follow. I mean, you look great right now. But I mean, you feel okay and everything at your age? I'm not one injury. I don't feel tired. I'm working out the whole day, the whole time with my son, with the guys at the academy. And when I roll, I feel actually better than before. You wow. Know? It's amazing. And, yeah. there, and there's no talk of any opponents or anything? Not yet. Not yet. They talk about Sakuraba. You know, oh, that'd be interesting. When I fought. Yeah, when I fought Kondo, I was supposed to fight Sakuraba. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Anybody they choose will be, will be great. I can, you know, I love to fight and I love to test myself. You know, you talk about fights in the past. I love when I fought Oleg Taktarov. It was a big challenge, you know. Yeah. He was a heavyweight and I was 155 pounds. Yeah. You know, almost 160. <laughs> so it's, you know, him, Maurice Smith was a great match too. You know? I never had a bad, a bad day when I stepped in there. It was always a good day. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, get in there again, man. You seem like you're pumped up and you're ready. And you seem like the same you as always. It's crazy that you're in your 50s. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Yeah, man, I love it. I love it. And I can't wait to be, to be back in there, you know. And I can't wait. Can't wait. And I already telling my grandson. I have a great a grandson, five years old, Roman. And he loves the, the fights. And he always tells me, I say, what are you going to be when you grow up? He goes, a fighter. <laughs> I say yes, course, you know. Yes. There's two things that he say: a fighter and a police officer. That's the two things yeah. he says to me all the time, you know. And he loves to watch the fights with me. When there's fights, we sit down and he, he pushes me. Look, look, look. When the fight gets good, he pushes me to see it, you know. So I can't wait to take him to one of my fights. Hey everyone, I'm going to take a second to thank our sponsor, AKA Thailand, the world's premier luxury training resort here in Phuket, Thailand. As of the taping of this podcast, if you watch this podcast, you're probably sick of hearing this. I'm so sorry. I'll make this as quick as possible. As of the taping of this podcast, we are still offering a 30% off special for all group training classes. You can go to akthailand.com. Uh, all of it's set up. You can book any group training for a week, a month, a year, two years, however long you want to book it. 30% discount with no expiration date. It's the biggest sell we've ever had and ever will have, and it will end soon because we are about to open up the borders uh, next month, and people are going to start coming in, and they're going to pay full price. So then we're not <laughs> we're not going to offer them 30% uh, off. So this is for people who pre-book. Uh, and if you are not familiar with the gym and you haven't heard of AK Thailand before, here you go. What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, AKA Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jujitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything.
I'm telling you guys, I know everybody wants to go to Thailand because Thailand's so cool, but you can't come to Thailand without coming to AKA Thailand. Come on. You know, I had Matt Sarah on my show uh, a while back, and then I recently had your manager, Ali, actually my very last episode, I just posted it yesterday, um, and both of those guys attri attributed you to helping them with their careers. So Matt Sarah said you pulled him into BJJ, and then he became a world champion MMA fighter in the UFC, yeah. uh, and then Ali said you're the one that asked him to be a manager, and then y'all had y'all's first meeting with Dana and Lorenzo, and now he's one of the top managers, if not the top manager in the world. Anything that you can talk about that? Yeah, I believe he's a top manager. He has over 128 fighters under his under his company, and like 103 or 98 on the in UFC alone. You know, it's amazing how well these boys did it. You know, this is the thing. It's like if you ask, what is a good teacher? A good teacher is the guy who makes his students shine. Right. Makes them better than I am. My goal my whole life was to make them 10 times better than I could ever dream of. You know, Matt Sarah used to work in a, in a, in a, in a boot, in a factory, in, as a security. He couldn't sleep. He was always tired on the train. I said, why are you tired? He goes, I can't sleep. I'm in a boot. I said, but people keep going in and out at night. He goes, no, I just watch the place at night. Right. I said, why don't you lay down and sleep? Forget about it. He goes, I can't. The place is so small that I can only sit. If I put my back on the floor, my legs have to be up, so oh, I can't wow. sleep. I said, man, forget this, come to work with me here. Let's begin helping me at the academy, and then we make matters meet, and then we make it happen. And that's exactly what happened. You know, and when he got his black belt, I used to have this school in Long Island. I left and, and left for him. He began teaching all the guys and opened his gym, and today he has a very successful business. He runs yeah. a very good business, you know. And I'm very proud of him. Same as Ali. That's Ali, so I could awesome. recognize that he always tried to help people, you know, especially our fighters. We didn't have a manager, actually. So I, I, when I went to sign up with the UFC in 2010, I said, Ali, come. You're going to be my manager. You're going to make some serious money. <laughs> now, he made, back then, he made $42,000. You know, he was happy as hell. Yeah, I bet. So I was able, yeah, yeah, I could get him back. And then he began, I put him to be the manager for Frank. And from that, he, he went. He was very good at this. You know, he works very hard. And today, he's the number one manager in the, in the business. I mean, I, I can tell from Matt Sarah, his work ethic, and I, I know him a lot better. For Ali, I just had him on the podcast, and so it's just talking to him, you know, from his perspective. But from your, from your perspective, because you know him very well, what do you think it is that made him so successful? Because like I asked him, he has so much trust and so much loyalty from, from his guys and then obviously from you just saying, hey, be my manager, and then he just says, okay, and goes to the UFC and then just does it and then becomes what he is today. What, what do you think it is about him that really made him? And did you see that? I said how he should work. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest difference between Ali and all the other managers? The managers get paid when the fighter, when the fighter fights, when they sign the contract, whatever happens. Any money comes into the managers and then goes to the fighter. Right. I made the opposite. I say from now on, you... Don't touch one dime. The money goes to the fighter. The fighter pays you after. Mm -hmm. So it was like that that he began with Frank Edgar. I remember after every Frank's fight, he would come and get the train to come get the money to get the check from Frank at Frank's house in Tom's River, mm -hmm. like an hour and a half from the city. Yeah. So that was the big difference. That's why there's no, there's no gray areas because before I was hearing about managers taking the money that was returned from taxes from people, you know, scamming 
fight us all the time, a bunch of Don Kings. So our business were becoming like Don King, like boxing. Right. So I made, I set the standards for, for Ali, how he had to work. And then I had all the contacts. I put him in contact with everybody. Now he's he's, he's going to help uh, one a lot. He's working with Shatri at one. So for sure, we're going to see a lot of his fighters joining uh, one FC, you know, one fighting championship and, and everything because I set up in ways that he can be dishonest. He can, you know, he has to defend the fighter. He has to work for the fighter. That's what he's proposing to get paid for. So he has to do it. And it was perfect. Look how fast he grew and how efficient he became, you know. And now he has a whole team working and he's able to afford a whole office and everybody's, and he's doing great. Yeah, and I seen him in action because I was sitting next to Justin Gaethje like a while back before Justin was like as big as he is now. He was coming up, and and I remember that he needed something, and Ali was sitting next to him, and, and Ali was just like on it. I mean, he was on the phone. He was like, let's get this here, and boom, 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 boom. And I was just thinking like, man, we didn't have that like back in the old days, you know? Like we didn't have guys that yeah. like took care of us like that. And so I, I knew I knew then he was a little different. Yeah, I made I, – I, I specified for him everything. I remember the first meeting I had with Dana. That's the one that he came. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I remember we sit down. He goes to me, Hanzo, you can't say nothing. You can't talk. I'm gonna do all the talking. I say no problem. <laughs> so I called Dana before and I say, look, then and the Fortinas. I say, look, I'm gonna bring this kid. He's new on the business, but he's very good. He's gonna end up being good at this. You know, and he's gonna work with you guys a lot. Let him talk whatever he wants. Don't take nothing serious. After I give you a call and I close with you over the phone. So they say, okay, <laughs> we walk in, we're talking, and after after 20 minutes of meeting. He looks at Dan and goes, you know, a lot of people say you are a prick, but I kind of like you. Dan, I was red. Look at me and goes, Hanzo, only for you. Only for you. And today, they're great friends. Yeah. They're great friends today. That's incredible. But it was funny. Yeah, yeah. That was the first meeting. And he could barely speak English. Yeah. His English was extremely poor, you know. He's much better now. Yeah. You know? That's, that's, that's a good story. But he but he he goes to bat for his guys. I mean, I seen him attack Kobe and like like he 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 goes to to bat for his guys and and you can tell he has that fire. If like I can tell he takes care of his guys and and, and they're like family yeah. to him. I can definitely sense that. Yes, yes. And they you, you, one thing that people have to understand on on the Muslim culture culture, there's something called haram, which mm -hmm. is bad karma. Right. So every time I was putting him on that business, I used to I would tell him, look, only do what is right. Look after them and your life will change, mm -hmm. you know? And it's so funny for you to have an idea after this whole problem begun with the pandemic and everything, who calls me? He calls me and goes, Hanzo, I have this amount of money in an account that I'm not using. Feel free to take whatever you want, you know? Mm -hmm. So that shows, you know, yeah, the big nice. soul that he is, the amazing heart he has, you know? He goes, take everything. You can use it to for the academies, for the people that work for you. Feel free, you know, that shows and the day that he bought his first house and he called me crying show me the whole house with his phone yeah this is gonna be my 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 kids rooms and and then showing me the beds and this is my you know i can i can raise my kids on this house now thank you master thanks for everything so this is priceless brother this is what we take from life you know and i'm glad i could help amazing people like ali and, and sarah and many others who are around me all the time I have to say, man, because one thing, like, I haven't sat down and talked to you for this long ever, 
uh, but we've had short, short, short talks here and there. And we've, and we've hung out here and there, but it's like, you have such a positive energy about you. And it's like, even earlier when we talked and now, and, and, and like, it's just like, you have such a positive energy and it's, it's hard to not be in a good mood when I'm around you and and when I'm talking to you. And I think that's such a great attribute to have. That's some Dale Carnegie stuff. And like, I just, I just have to tell you that, man, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a relief to, I enjoy podcasts like this, to be able to talk to somebody with such positive energy, because I think it's so contagious in a good way versus negative oh, energy, so yeah. contagious in a bad way. And I think that's probably a huge reason why you influence so many people. It's so true, man. And a lot of people come to tell me that, you know, like, uh, I have a lot of things that I don't mention. I don't talk about. I have a lot of people that call me and say, hey, so I was thinking about killing myself. But when I start hearing you, I quit. I want to thank you for that. You know how many messages like that I got? How many? So I and thank God I'm like this and I can help people, you know? I had one guy that called me telling me that he was killing himself. Oh, I want to no. kill myself. I'm just, I'm just letting you know to say goodbye to you because I couldn't leave without saying goodbye to you. I said, man, and he promised me a sword. So I said, well, what about the sword that you told me that you're going to give me, a samurai sword? I'm supposed to meet you and get the sword from you. And this was over Twitter or Instagram, a message. And then he goes, no, I, I will leave it here and I put a note so they deliver it to you. I said, no, you know that a samurai sword has to be delivered in hands. You can't wow. send to somebody else. And he goes, Hanzo, not even you will be able to, to, to convince me not to kill myself today. And I, I say like this, so can I ask you a favor? Then since you are going, can I ask you a favor? And he goes, yeah. I say, can you take a note to my brother who died? So since you're going to the other side, let me make you a note so you can take it to him. And then he, he was silent. And he goes, okay, I will wait for that note. I still didn't write that note. <laughs> and that motherfucker the other day, he was a specialist. In, in, he was a fireman. Yeah. He saved the whole building that was on fire. The people were sleeping. Wow. Someone threw a cigarette. The, the bottom of the building caught on fire and luckily he came home late. He was able to evacuate the whole building before the whole place went on, on flames, you know? And the, until the people arrived, probably a lot of people would be dead. And he saved them all, all his neighbors, wow. you know? And then he called me and I said, do you realize sometimes you have one thing to do in your life that you cannot leave earlier? You know, when is your time? You're going to die sitting down in a chair watching TV if that's your time. You know, so make a difference. Live until and live intensely until the last second, until the last Sir. moment. And he still, he calls me until today. You know, I just did every time he does something good. He calls me <laughs> and so tells incredible. me what's going on, what he's doing, you know. And he calls me father now. He calls father. <laughs> that's so incredible. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah, man. This is what, that's what I told you. is the real world that you get from life. You know, I got one this week and offering to help me with anything I need, anybody who needs help. Because I saved his life. He goes, man, your way of talking, your way of seeing things. I was in a dark place, but every time I hear you, you know what? Things change. I, 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 I live under the philosophy that I was born naked and toothless. You know? And we are dressed and with a mouthful of teeth. We are head by far in the game. Yeah. So why? You know, any, any life is problems. Problems will come to you. Yeah. It's how you see them. It's not like, it's not going to, you can't let them put you down and, make you quit and make you, you know, he has to push you forward. It's, it's just how you deal with them. I, I'm 53 and I don't have one gray hair. Imagine this. <laughs> and people keep thinking I dye my hair. It's not. It's because I'm happy for the whole day. It doesn't matter what happened. Even if I sleep on an hour at night, 
I get up and I'm, I actually went to sleep 3.30 when I called you today. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for man. I said, no, I have to be at 9. He was going to call it. Yeah, man, you I, know? that panicked me when you called me, man. Because like, sometimes sometimes someone will call me before and like, okay, so we got the podcast in an hour, right? Or, or like, a, like, you know, a reminder yeah, call. I, I usually send the reminder. <laughs> but you called me and you were sitting there like podcast time and I wasn't ready because I made the huge mistake. And I was like, oh, my God, I made a mistake. He's, like, ready for the podcast. And I want to thank you so much for being so so, so positive and so nice about it because you, you're just, you were just being you. It, it, and looking back at your fights just really fast, um, you know, because I saw the aggressive, you know, the, the side of you that I like because I wanted to be a fighter and, and use that aggression and that, that, that uh, intensity in fighting. Were you always like this, finding the positive things and stuff? Or did you have to learn this? through time or through us or what was it that changed you if, if it did yeah i was very lucky my family my, my on my mother's side there was a very lot was a, a bunch of crazy lebanese they were so they so much love i got from them you know i couldn't see life in a bad way it's like the the love that they gave me the attention the the the, the, the life lessons you know it's it was amazing it was yeah. amazing like every thing I did and they see me only as a champion even though I didn't have no athletic abilities I wasn't strong I was very skinny and they made me see myself as a champion they made me believe that anything that I want to do it was possible you know and they were right look what they did you know look what I have what I have put it together what I have accomplished you know and I remember the other day that there's a guy here now he used to be the minister of culture of Brazil and when the president of Brazil made me an ambassador of tourism for Brazil, he went to look and to see who I was. He didn't know. He heard about the Graces, but he had no idea. So he went to, to make a research about me. Mm-hmm. After six months, he called me and said, look, after studying you for six months, I realized you are a unique individual. I want to write a book about you. I said, no problem. How are you going to do it? I said, I'm going to move to New York and be there with you for six months writing the book. Interview on all your friends, all the people connected to you and... You know, he finished the interview with my mom yesterday and, and he called me right after. He called me yesterday, it was like almost midnight. <laughs> and he goes, now I understand why you are the way that you are. Your mother is amazing. What yeah. a lo- She talks about you with such a love and, and, and the way that she sees you and the way that she told me that she raised you, you know. And it's insane. So he's writing the book right now. And he goes to me, Hensley, the problem is, I, I, I came down on the first meeting I had with you. I wrote 40 pages. Mm-hmm. He goes on the first sitting with you, we having a meal and talking. He wrote 40 pages. He's wow. crazy, man. <laughs> and then he goes, I don't know. This book may be bigger than Mohammed <laughs> Ali's book, you know, biography. <laughs> it may be, we may have to do. In, in, You've done a lot. Different, yeah, a lot. And when I sit down to think, that's when I realize, you know. Like recently, I, I made, a, I made a, a business deal between Brazil and Emirates, right? The, one day, my phone rings. is the Sheikh Tarnum calling me. He says, I need to meet your friend. I say, which one of them? He goes, the Brazilian president. I say, when do you want to meet them? He goes, 20 days from now. I say, no problem. Let me get up, take a shower. I'm going to get a plane and fly to Brazil. Right? He goes, today? I say, yeah, I got to begin now. If you want 20 days from now, let me go solve this. I jump in a plane that day, went to Brazil. And I met the president, actually, before. I wasn't very close friends to him, you know? So I met him. I helped his campaign a little, but we are not friends. So I arrived in Brasilia, and I go straight. I take a car, go straight. And I had this lawyer with me, and the lawyer was, but you, 
They said, no, you're coming. I said, no, 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 no problem. <laughs> the guy goes, wow. this is the Brazilian president. You can't show up like this. I said, drive to the Brazilian White House there, please. And so he takes me there, <laughs> to the Palacio, the pa Palacio Palau. So I go there. I go to the security. Uh, is the president in the house? The guy goes, yes. I say, can you please let him know the Hales is here? I, I want to see him. The guy goes, do you have an appointment? I say, no, no, no. Just say Hales is here. He knows me. And the guy starts laughing. I go, you are crazy. And he calls for the security in there. In two minutes comes a guy to pick me up and take me inside. Wow. You know? The next day I had breakfast with him. I was able to put a deal together between both countries where Brazilians don't need visa to go to United Arab Emirates anymore. Brazilians can go to United Arab Emirates, open a company, and issue themselves a working visa. They can run a business from there. Wow. You know? So they open the gates. They're making their hub for Brazil to do business with Asia, with Middle East, with everything. This is unheard of. Then that is crazy, yeah. The total... Yeah, the total was like four months. I was able to put them. The Brazilian president flew in with 150 uh, diplomats and politicians, and they signed a deal. They signed a deal between the two countries that all this is happening, and they invest. The total was $40 billion in Brazil. Wow. $40 billion. Yeah. You know? And it was the best because the chic look at me and goes, Hazel, do you know what you did for your country? It's great. How much are they paying you? I go, I say, my brother. If I was making a dime out of this, I wouldn't feel as good as I'm feeling right now. Yeah. So I'm glad I could help back my country, the place that I grew up, the place where the, the where the people that I love live. So I'm hell. I'm 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 happy that I could do for them without getting paid. You know. And, and then he look at me. He goes, "You are different. Anybody else would do this so for money? Incredible. I thought I was setting your life too at the same time. I said my life is already set. Don't worry about this. I never miss nothing. I have everything I need." You know, and he was like, you never cease to amaze me. You always surprise me. <laughs> that is incredible. You know? Enzo. I can't yeah, even believe that. It was unbelievable. That is so incredible. And I'm definitely going to read your book for sure. Yeah. And now, now, and just another thing, Brazil was lacking a few uh, COVID tests, kits, you know, they were lacking a bunch of things. So we were able to organize and they send a plane with 12,000 kilos of equipment of Corona uh, tests. They did, wow. He did the same for Las Vegas too. He supplied the whole the whole city of Las Vegas with COVID tests, with all the, the material. He did for Las Vegas and did for Brazil. He sent a plane, loaded and landed there and delivered everything to the president. So he spread all over the poor communities. He gave everything away. Wow, it was amazing. Incredible. This was like a, like a month ago. Yeah, a month ago. Wow, that's a, I don't know where to go from there. That's, a, that's so incredible. Yeah, that's I so know, incredible. And the funny thing, nobody mentioned about this. Nobody talks. The press in Brazil don't talk about because they don't support a president. You know. Yeah. So it was a funny thing. Yeah, but you know, good I'm happy for I you. Did. Very happy I did. Good for you. I hope a lot of people find this out. And and, and like I said, your book is going to be incredible. I, I didn't know half of the stuff we talked about today. Um, what would your advice, cause you've been around successful BJJ, uh, players or fighters, uh, and, and MMA fighters for so long and seen what it takes to make champions and to make good guys. What is your best advice to guys that are coming up, um, that you see that they're making as mistakes now, um, to help guide them to the, in the right direction? Like, like what is your best advice to young guys that want to be really good in BJJ and want to be really good at MMA? The most important thing ever is to know that you are always a white belt. Always yes. think Humble. like 
like you are white belt. Never refuse knowledge. Doesn't matter from, believe it, I'm in a restaurant. Someone want to show me a move, I go on the floor with him to see the move. Yeah. You know, it's like the moment that you put a black belt and you be, be, begun believing that you know everything and everybody else is stupid, that's when you 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 you, you become the dead sea. Yeah. Is the, is the sea the, the water only comes in, the softness comes in and nothing goes out. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you have to be always open for knowledge. You have to be always open for the other people's way of seeing things because that may improve you a lot. You know, the other day, the guy, I, I was teaching a class of only for black belts. And, and, and then they look at me, they go, how they didn't think that before? How I didn't? Because they don't realize they close themselves and they believe what they know. It's enough. It's they know everything. And when you do that, and it's a funny thing, because I have a huge problem to even save the name of a, a submission or a move. Mm -hmm. I have a huge problem with that because if I believe you name it and you put a label on it, you can change, you can adapt, you can improve, you can grow. You know, it's it's a funny thing, and, and sometimes people can be, oh, how do I do this guard, this donkey guard? How do I do? I just think you gotta show me. I don't know what that is. You know, I yeah. don't know the name of nothing. You know, <laughs> I know choke from the side, choke from the back, choke from the mouth. That's how I call it. You know? You know, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. But so the most important, never close your mind for knowledge. You know, it's, I have, the other day, a guy came in my academy and when I arrived, he was in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. I, I'm coming, I look, I see him in a wheelchair with a gi. I said, my man, are you training? He goes, yeah. I said, sorry, we don't have an elevator. I got him, I put him in my back and I went up. You know who was there? Marshall, El Elliot Marshall. Yeah, was there. Elliot Marshall, okay. You know, and he was there to do an interview. He filmed. He posted somewhere. <laughs> he filmed when I arrived with this guy on my back. <laughs> wow. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. So I put the guy on the mat. I said, man, go change. I got his wheelchair. Somebody else brought his wheelchair. He went to change and then we trained. And it was amazing because for the fact that he doesn't have the use of his legs, he works in different leverages to finish, to apply submissions, to apply chokes, to apply... And I want to learn from him because imagine if I can do what he does, having my legs, right. you know, and it was an unbelievable experience. So I have two guys in a wheelchair. They're always teaching me moves. Those two guys. One is Brian Freeman. You know, them. another guy that thought he, he, he wasn't uh, a cripple and he suffered an accident. He became paralyzed from the waist down. And, and he was thinking about killing himself, too. Yeah. And then his daughter asked to join jiu-jitsu. Let me go to jiu-jitsu. Today, poor, he's, he teaches seminar all over the United States. He teaches jiu-jitsu. He's an amazing jiu-jitsu guy. He always comes and stay here in my house with me and his daughter and the whole crew here, you know? You it's know, crazy. It's, it's amazing. And jiu-jitsu say, he goes, so I, I thought, I was thinking about, I said, how can I live with, with be able to walk? Today, I love jiu-jitsu. I see my daughter growing. Yeah. You know, it's one of the most amazing stories I have ever seen in my life. And I was happy to be part of that. And he goes, and after I met you, I, I that's when I pushed him. You gotta start doing seminars, you gotta start teaching, compete. So he made competition against other people with you no know, paralyzed from the waist down. And amazing, you know, amazing, amazing, amazing souls that are now contributing to our jiu-jitsu. And they always teach me new leverage and new moves. I had a super inspirational guest on my podcast a while back named Anthony Robles, who has one leg. He was born with one leg and he became an all-American champion wrestler. And and the rock is actually Dwayne Johnson is actually making a movie about his life now. But I love stories like that. You know, guys that are just just continue to go no matter what. And and, and that's awesome. The truth, brother, if you think life only finishes when you rest your head 
on your grave. That's yeah. it. You have to the whole time it's a fight. So fight for everything. Give your best. You sleep less. You know, eat less. Do, 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 and do without stopping. And you know, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a great life. It doesn't matter how you are, it doesn't matter if you don't have both legs. If you lock me in a container for 20 years, cut my both legs, my both arms, and just feed me enough to survive. After 20 years, when we open that that that, that container, I'll be smiling. Yeah. You know, even if I'm shitting on myself, don't need to clean me. Leave me like that. Because with the memories that I already have and the life and the, the imagination that I have and the beauty that I see on everything, I don't see how I'm not going to be smiling for the rest of my life. You know, that's the truth. Man, that's awesome. Man, your story is so incredible. I can't believe that, that we've had <laughs> such a great conversation. Like, it's, it's, I was so excited to talk to you, and it's been more more than I expected. Thank you. That helps with the three hours, actually, that you let me sleep. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Man, I'm so sorry for that. But uh, I'm going to leave you with something a little off the wall. So just just because you're such a master in BJJ, and, and I want to know if I broke a rule here. So when I was in the UFC, my, my th- uh, third, or th- third and fourth fight, Joe, uh, Steve Vigno and Joe Riggs, I got a guillotine choke. And jokingly, I call it a swickatine, which is just stuck for my whole career, everyone's saying swickatine, but I called it a swickatine. And you would be surprised at how many BJJ guys sent me messages and they were so mad at me for calling it a swickatine, even though I was just joking. Did I break a rule with BJJ? Like, can nah, you nah, can you nah, not change nah, the name of moves? No. <laughs> I'm just but wondering. A lot of times you have to understand. It's, let me tell you one thing. I, I You know Darcy Choke, right? Right. Darcy choke. I got caught in one and I lost a UFC fight, by the way, to Tiago Silva with the Darcy choke, by the way. That's a sensitive subject. (laughs) Oh, it's a beautiful move. Unbelievable. We made that move at the academy. You know, we're working on it. It was a variation from the regular Armin guillotine that I developed back then on the Pride 1 and Pride 2. That's what I used. And I I, I remember Joe Darcy was a kid that came training with us. He was 16 years old. Very talented kid. Today he's a police officer in Long Island. He has a school in Long Island. Oh, wow. And I show him the move. Oh, I taught him the move. He became very good at it. Then he went to train with a, a very famous fighter, and he finished the guy many times with that. So then they named it the Darcy Choke. He showed them how it was, and they named it Darcy Choke. So then the, the move became very famous and very known. So yeah. Darcy one day comes to me and goes, Hanzo, I'm, you know, I feel bad. I say, what? He goes, they named the move after me when actually you taught me the move. You made it. I remember when you were making this move, and you taught you taught me, and, and the name after me. I say, my brother, the good teacher, the real good teacher. He don't have students. He has leaders that he trains them, yeah. and he has a real good jujitsu student. Will have moves named after his students. So I'm very happy. It's actually your name, not mine. I'm very happy. That's you, so you cool. Just you just fulfill my dream as a good teacher. You're just showing that I'm a good teacher. Yeah. You know? So the reality, some people are gonna get offended with anything. I was just people hoping my are, joke. I was just hoping my joke didn't come across as like disrespectful to the BJJ community because nah, it was just a joke. Nah, yeah. Never, never, brother. It's like I, I always <laughs> joke with uh, Khabib. Yeah. Remember the first time he fought, he had a shirt. If he was easy. If some ball was oh. easy, I would call it jujitsu. I remember that. So the first time I met him, I said, <laughs> "Oh." If Jiu-Jitsu is easy, I'll call it Sambo. So we start laughing, you know. Ka, ka, ka. And I say, I'm going to make that shirt for you to wear it next. Yeah. And we start laughing. Yeah, so you, you never forgot. I said, oh, that was brilliant. I said to him, that was yeah. a beautiful shirt. 
I wish I had one. Yeah, know? that is that I remember that shirt so, actually. So normally, yeah, what happens a lot is people who don't do, people who don't don't put their hearts out, they want to create rules to limit it, to limit you. Well, my brother, you can call my army in guillotine that I love my whole life. You can call your name and I'll be happy. Yeah. You know, I would love to see you using and doing. That's the reality. But people who don't do, they want to criticize everyone. Yeah. You know, and, and today with the internet, everybody has a voice. So it's, you know, you'll be amazed. The number, I was called a, na- a, a Nazi. I was called a Nazi, even though I have, I don't know if you saw recently, there is a peace treaty between the, the United Arab Emirates and Israel, they just had the first flight this week. I didn't know that. This They just had the first flight. Now the company has a base in, in, in Abu Dhabi. Oh, wow. The, the, the Israeli company has a base in Abu Dhabi. It was just, it was, it was unheard of for years. Now it's the first time, you know? And I was part of this on the past 20 years together with Sheikh Tanum. I could watch. I was sitting on meetings with them and, yeah. and seeing how, how he made it. And I remember 20. Two years ago, like we were talking about, he's talking about money, and he's a very rich guy. And I said, man, you don't need money. What you need is to write history. And he looked at me and said, you are here not to make money, to make a better business deal. You already have the money. You have to create good history to live for your kids, for your grandkids, for future generations to learn from you, to talk about you. And now he called me and goes, hell's here, history. You know, the peace treaty between both countries and they are working. A lot of the, 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 the Israelis are moving out of the Palestinian areas and returning their land. And everything was organized and done by wow. him. You know, it's uh, and again, I believe Jiu-Jitsu changed him. He's a black belt. He's one of my black belts, an amazing soul. You know, look what he has done for Jiu-Jitsu, for the sport, for fighting. You know, he helped. People don't know he helped. He owned 10% of the UFC. He helped UFC a lot, a lot. Only I know how much, you know, and we have what we have in the UFC today, thanks to him too, you know, because UFC was going through some hard moments and he made a huge difference, you know, and now he's doing exactly what I told him, teaching Jiu-Jitsu to him 20, 22 years ago. History, go change history. Make good things, live good things, you know. And I hope, and I always tell him, I hope, you come to my funeral and I don't have to go in yours because one of those two are going to miss the other. Yeah. So I hope, I hope you come to mine. I said to him. God, so much influence from you, man. It's incredible. It's so yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a funny thing because I, I, I keep remembering little things that I forgot. There was another reporter. They used to do a job like you're doing now. Very famous one. He called me too and said he was going through a hard moment or a hard time in his life, you know, and, uh, and he called me saying that he was killing himself that day. I was on my way to the city to go train, you know, to go teach and train. I said, give me five minutes. I'm calling you back. Boom. I hang up, call the academy and say, that's someone that you teach. I can't teach right now. They said, no problem. We got somebody here. I think John was teaching, taught the class, mm-hmm. John Donna. So I call him back and I say, my man, before you go, let's have a beer. Enjoy at least one last beer. And then, and then you can kill yourself later tonight. I went to meet him. He even had what he was going to take. Wow. He already had in his pocket. Yeah. Oh, I get that. In the end, one beer turned into 10 beers. We, in the end, we're looking at jiu-jitsu position, laughing, joking. I help him with a, a few a few things that he needs to fix. I help him with that. Motherfucker still alive today calling me all the time. <laughs> 
calling me and telling me jokes and telling me things, you know. It's an amazing show. It was a very famous reporter from a from a, from a MMA scene, you know. And today he's running, he's happy with his family, everything is good, and he's He's alive and well. He called me actually this week to bother me a little bit, you know. Well, I got your number. <laughs> to tell him that everything's fine. I got your number. So uh, if I get depressed, you're, you're going to be the person I call no, 100%. percent call me and I'll be there. 100%. I'll be there in a <laughs> We'll go break a bar, get drunk, you know, yeah. make fun of others and, <laughs> For you know, sure. and laugh. But it's it's a funny situation, you know, and it's amazing to have changed lives like this. It's it's incredible. You're, you're, yeah, it's yeah. I, I this is unbelievable. All these stories, it's so crazy. And since you mentioned Khabib uh, and that fight coming up with Justin Gaethje and Khabib, what do you think about that? What, what's your breakdown um, from your perspective on that fight, the big super fight with with Khabib and uh, Gaethje? It's going to be a very interesting fight. Khabib is a grinder, man. I yeah. never see nobody train like he does. He trains a lot. He's a very uh, 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 he's a he's a he's a very strong religious Muslim, you know. He doesn't drink. He doesn't. He prays every day on time. He does. He follows everything by the book, you know. He's a very good heart guy, and 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 he loves fighting and he trains. And it's gonna be a tough match for for Gage, you know. Gage has to be careful because if you let Khabib put your hands on you, he grinds you until you're exhausted, you know. You can't go to Khabib like he normally Gaethje does every single time with everything he has on the beginning because uh, Khabib has an amazing ability to grind his way to victory, you know, and, and it's very difficult to resist his, his imposing game. I've always said Gaethje is probably one of the toughest guys because when, when you look at a guy like Khabib, like you think the only way that you can beat a guy like that is knock him out, land that one punch. Do you think yes. that there's a BJJ guy that could, that could possibly neutralize him like from what you've seen? It's 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 very tough. In tough an fun. MMA fight, Khabib is that's why he's the champion. It's extremely yeah. tough to beat him. It's like it's not easy. He he trains a lot of jiu-jitsu too. Yep. Like he trains he every day jiu-jitsu a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I had opportunity to train him here when his fight was in Brooklyn, so he stayed with us. You know, and he was actually coming here to stay with me for his last fight that got canceled. I think. You know, and uh, amazing soul, very dedicated athlete. With him, there's no BS, there's no bullshit. He goes and he trains hard every time. He carries his whole crew with him all the time. Yep. He has constantly six, seven guys that are his training partners, you know, all fighters, all very tough fighters. You know, it's an amazing, amazing soul, man. Amazing soul and amazing fighter, very dedicated in doing what he does, you know. He recently lost his father. There was an amazing coach, an amazing father, too. You know, I had the chance to meet him in, in Moscow and some other places. and you know, unfortunately, yeah. he died. I think he contracted COVID and he had a heart problem that ended up uh, costing his life. But, you know, he left a huge, huge uh, amount of heart and passion to Khabib do what he does best. Yeah. You know? And I think uh, he motivated Khabib and he drove Khabib, Khabib to be the champion that he is. And like Javier says, I mean, he, he thinks that's going to make him a stronger fighter just to, uh, to to fulfill his father's legacy. That That was his main thing, you know. But definitely, definitely, that's for sure. Man, Enzo, thank you so much. This has been an amazing podcast, and I appreciate you being thank patient you, with me brother. for getting the times wrong. <laughs> uh, it's perfect time. It's always perfect time. You are I such an awesome. You are such an awesome and person. As soon as I have a chance, I come to visit you. I want to see your school, and I want to teach a class there. It'll be a pleasure. Have you been pleasure. to Thailand before? Yes, I've been there. I've been there. But you haven't been to AK Thailand yet. See, that's the no, thing. No, not we got to get yeah. you to AK Thailand. <laughs> And I got to show you the islands. That would be a pleasure, Pa. That'll okay, well, pleasure. just let me know Can't when you're wait. ready to come, and, and I got you, 100%. 
we are, brother. We are. Thank you so much, Enzo. Such a great conversation. Thank you, Swick. And I love your Swick guillotine. I love it. Keep doing. <laughs> much love. Thank you so much, Enzo. Thank you, brother. All the best. All right, Henzo Gracie, Master Henzo Gracie. Wow. Wow. That that was incredible. That that was way more than I expected and I had a very high expectation for this for this podcast. Um he's as you can tell, obviously one of the most positive people you'll ever talk to. Um one of the most influential people and I didn't even know any almost of the stories that he told me on this podcast. So I'm, I'm assuming that you haven't either. So I, I, I guess that you guys are going to take a lot from this as well. Um, just a great guy. And, and I knew this. And like I said, I've ran into him and we've hung out briefly over the years. And he's always been such a nice, positive person. So I've always had that vibe. And I've never even really got to know him that well. So that shows you how strong that positive energy is that, that, that I can, I can take that from him in such a short amount of time and just bumping into him here and there and, and having, uh, you know, small encounters. And then obviously through this podcast, I mean, come on, like you, you, you can't deny it. Um, and the fact that he's fighting again, he is a true fighter to the core. And it is incredible that he flew to Brazil <laughs> to fight Wallet Ishmael. That is incredible. And nobody knows. It's not like he did it as a publicity stunt. Of course, he would, he would post the video. But wow, that's incredible. But uh, anyway, if you guys are uh, watching on YouTube, please leave a comment. Let us know what you think. We love watching the comments, reading the comments, um, hearing your guys' opinion. I love the support. Thank you so much. You guys have been the reason that we've kept us going, and we're doing as many podcasts as, as we are. Uh, we love the fact that you're, you're, you're enjoying these and you're taking from it. And um, if you're on the audio platforms, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, you can subscribe to us there. Uh, leave us reviews. We greatly appreciate the support, and we will see you next time. <laughs>